We'll begin boarding in a few minutes, but first I'd like to acquaint you with some important safety information. We're here at the Starlight Lounge doing our little show from opening to closing every day. We're about to meet two of my greatest heroes, H.G. Wells and Jules Verne. So where are they? What am I, a map? Hey, this is Push the Talking Trash Can from Tomorrowland, and I listen to the WDW radio show when I'm not collecting garbage. You should, too. WDW Radio. Your information station. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 116 for the week of April 26th, 2009. Thank you for tuning in once again. With the 20th anniversary of Disney's Hollywood Studios coming up on May 1st, I'm planning a number of segments looking back on its history, trivia, changes, hidden treasures, and so much more. And this week, we're going to start at the very beginning. And I'm pleased to be joined at the studios by Disney legend and former Walt Disney World press agent, Charlie Ridgway, who's going to recount what it was like planning for the opening of a park whose original concept changed dramatically and showcased the glitz and the glamour of a Hollywood that was both real and imagined. I'll answer more of your listener emails and questions this week, including vacation planning, as well as Walt Disney World history and trivia questions. Some topics include Disney honeymoons, Disney dining, World Showcase music, DVC versus a deluxe resort, the Empress Lily, and much more. I'll play some of your voicemails at the end of the show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. With the 20th anniversary of the opening of Disney's Hollywood Studios, of course originally known as the Disney MGM Studios, I was wandering through the park recently and I wondered about the early days of the studios, and I mean the very early days. So for a park that's all about the glitz and the glamour of Hollywood, I thought it would be fun to look back at the opening day of the studios itself And there's no person I could think of better to look back on this day with me than not only someone who was there, but somebody who was very instrumental in the events that led up to its opening, as well as the day's events. So I'm joined at Disney's Hollywood Studios with Charlie Ridgway, former Disney World press agent, Disney legend, and author of his book, Recounting His Tales from His Years at the Disney Company. Charlie, great to see you again. Thanks for joining me on the show. Thank you, Lou, and it's good to... To remember again, because it was an exciting time, beginning really three or four years ahead of this, when we began to think uh, and plan for a, an attraction, a park that would totally bring Hollywood to the fore. And, you know, for years, people who went to Hollywood wanted to tour the studios unless they had a, an in with somebody they couldn't get in. So this was a, a, a great experience for people who 
who loved Hollywood and remember the good old days because we recreated Hollywood uh, as it was in the 1930s. Hollywood Boulevard with uh, some of the same buildings that uh, stood there that long ago. So when you're now, you look. You, you've opened seven different th- Disney theme parks around the world. You're now told by Disney that they're going to create this this real working production facility, this real working studio with attractions. How do you start to approach that from a PR perspective? Well, first of all, we had to make clear that it was a place where real production was going on, that there would be stars coming there from time to time, and so forth. But in addition to that, it was more than than a working studio. It was a place to be toured so that the attractions that were there re- recreated the Hollywood uh, the, that people had in, in their minds, not just a place, uh, not just a working studio. So it was both. And actually, it began a year ahead of time. In June of 1988, we began production in the sound stages, which were the first things completed at the studio. It was not till in May of 1989 that we uh, had guests coming in to tour the, the park and to enjoy the, the restaurants, the shows, the, uh, the experience of seeing Hollywood production in one form or another. Some of it was, was real, some of it was uh, put on, if you will, but, but uh, nevertheless it recreated the whole atmosphere. And it, it was recreated what, uh, what one of my good friends uh, uh, decided was one of the things that would be successful about it. You know that Disneyland, when it started in 1955, recreated the era of Walt's birth in our early days and back in the 19 early 1900s. So it was a it was a a, a town a, a Midwest town of that era. Here we were 30 years later than than that era in the the glamour the golden days of Hollywood when the, the glamour stars that, that became known around the world made their reputations. Uh, so that when Disneyland opened, Dad could take the kids down the street, or Grandfather at least, and say, yeah, I remember when there were horse-drawn streetcars, and I remember when there were gas lights and all these things. See? Well, now Dad or Grandfather could say, I remember when I walked down Hollywood Boulevard in 1935 and saw... Uh, Gary Cooper or, you know, era stars of that age. Yeah, and this park, obviously very different than Disneyland and the Magic Kingdom at Epcot, was really about all things that were going to be very big and very flashly. And, and obviously when you're talking about Hollywood, that's what you think of. When you start thinking about the opening ceremonies, they certainly weren't going to be anything different. Well, they were different in that we had an excuse to have the biggest names in Hollywood attend, as many as we could get, and so we did. And we wanted to build the idea that this was a place where you could, at least on occasion, come and see stars. So not only did we have them here for the opening, but we began a program shortly thereafter called Star Today, in which every week we brought in a different, actually a family, a star and their family, to come and stay and appear in a parade uh, down the street a couple of days and then sit in the Star Theater, an outdoor theater, and answer questions from the audience of fans. And it was a great different experience for those stars because usually they were being interviewed by uh, journalists and uh, critics who were after the <laughs> the dirt. <laughs> These were people who loved the stars and who were asking them questions that obviously showed that love. I remember for a while, uh, Christy Donovan was the host. And the great thing was, 
not only did you have a chance to come here and possibly see walking around the parks a real Hollywood movie star, but I remember Michael Jordan and, and uh, you know, other people from TV. Michael J. Fox was here. Uh, musicians, Britney Spears was here. I mean, it, you, it really sort of ran the gamut. Yeah. The, well, some of them came by invitation. Some of them just showed up because it was a great place to go and see and, and to relive some of their memories of Hollywood and so forth. So we did have a lot of those a lot of those big names here, and uh, in addition to that, we re- we started up a new Mickey Mouse Club, and we made a got a hold of a, a we arranged for a whole new cast of young, brilliant entertainers, many of whom, after the Mouse Club had had, had its run, went on to uh, become very famous as musical stars in the 1990s and and beyond. And having celebrity here is what was right up your alley because that's something that you always did throughout the years. We've talked in the past about you know you accommodating and having celebrities brought in. And one of my favorites, I'm sure one of yours, and somebody who was here for the opening of the Magic Kingdom was also here, sort of like by happenstance, for the groundbreaking. And that was Bob Hope. Yeah, that was kind of a <laughs> odd situation because Bob would frequently uh, he was touring around the country, various things, and he he liked to come down and stay one of the hotels nearby. And he would call and say, hey, I want to come over to the park today. And I'd arrange for a, to a guide and so forth. And this time he called and said he was in town and he'd like to come out. And I said, hey, by the way, we're having this announcement <laughs> tomorrow with Michael Eisner and Frank Wells and so forth uh, announcing the Disney MGM Studios, which is going to be built here. And he, he would fit right in. He said, oh, I'd be glad to do it. So he showed up and did a great show with no script, no preparation, no as a total surprise. And everyone, how did he, how did I arrange for that? <laughs> and it was, I didn't have anything to do with it. Bob did it. <laughs> you can give up your secrets now because it's 20 years later. Well, Bob was here on a number of occasions. One of them, I remember in particular, was the uh, Television Academy uh, Hall of Fame awards, uh, which they did here five years running. And one of those years, uh, Bob and uh, George Burns appeared on stage together, and they were hilarious. And, of course, George was on his last legs, but he sure didn't show it. And Bob wasn't too far away from, from passing on, so it was a, a rare occasion for these two uh, legends of Hollywood to be appearing on stage together. And, of course, the, the uh, uh, television personalities, uh, including Fred Friendly from CBS and so forth, who were inducted into the Hall of Fame that night, uh, were the honorees, and, and it was, uh, all of their friends came, and, and there again. We had a we had a fun thing that we did, it, it we did it at the opening to some extent, but later on we did it more uh, a prearranged kind of thing. We'd have a, a group of of conventioneers coming, and they, we would entertain them at the studio, and we would greet them at with a red par- carpet at the front gate and a 300 raving fans asking for their autographs and taking their pictures. Of course, they, they, these were people of non-entities, and they, but they were they went along with the gag, and it was it was it was a great f- kind of fun. And and these kind of things went on for for many many years, uh, building up the the reputation of the studio. And uh, I, I think people who come here do get a feeling of being in. Hollywood in its golden days. Sure, and obviously early on, you know, you had so much more latitude to play with of things you could do from a PR perspective, I assume, because you now had the celebrities you can, you can bring in. You had this well, real yeah, and imagined Hollywood. That that gave us a, 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 an excuse to have them here that we didn't have before, because lots of them came to Disneyland and later 
to Magic Kingdom and later to Epcot. So we had a lot of celebrities over the years, but not in the in the bunches that came in connection with the studio. We had events uh, subsequent to that, uh, the world premiere of Dick Tracy and Warren Beatty and, and Madonna came for that and so forth. And among the, the, the stars that were here for the opening are... Uh, and there's a funny story. We were getting all ready for this grand event. We'd had the press arriving early in the day, and we allowed them to come into the park and see the, some of the shows and whatnot during the day. At about um, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it began to rain. I mean, it rained hard. And we thought, oh, my God, we're, 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 it's gone. And it kept on raining, and we, we gave everybody umbrellas and so forth, but we knew it. We couldn't do half of the things that we were planning to do if that kept up. And we were scheduled to start the parade of the arrival of the stars and so forth at 7 p.m. At 6.55, it stopped raining dead. And we called it Walt's weather again. Um, but uh, there was one little fly in the ointment that we were scheduled to, to uh, film the, the parade and all the spectacular that night. And all of the show lights that were supposed to be there for it were flooded out. And so the technicians went around with with hair dryers and dried out those things. It took them an hour. Well, during that hour, all these celebrities, uh, Kevin Car- uh, Cochran and uh, uh, Kevin uh, Custer and and uh, uh, oh, uh, a lot of Steve Allen and and uh, uh, I remember Bette Midler was there. Yeah. Lauren McCall was there. I mean, a lot of you had some some yeah, old Julie, Hollywood Julie, celebrities, Julie right? Andrews, all these people. I mean, and they were all. Each of them were in their separate limousines, lined up in the back lot waiting to go on. And they waited and they waited and they waited and they got antsy. And you could see that they were just about to head for the nearest bar. Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg and others were going up and down the line saying, no, just hold on a bit. It won't be very long. We'll, we'll get you. Well, it finally started at 8, at 8 o'clock, so we were an hour late. We were able to start the procession, and they arrived at the at the uh, front entrance and came up the magic carpet and were interviewed by Army Archer, and uh, and it was it, it was a real Hollywood premiere in all, every sense of the word. And then they all came into the park and went down, lined up in, uh, in chairs in the VIP areas and so forth to watch the parade, and then this magnificent parade of dancers and singers and the real glitz of Hollywood. Uh, our, our entertainment division was just extra, extraordinary in being able to stage events of this nature. And the climax was a couple of hundred dancers doing singing in the rain. It was, there wasn't any rain by that point. <laughs> it was a clear, starlit night. Uh, Willie Nelson, the Pointer Sisters, and other entertainers were hired to perform on stage during the evening. And it, it, was, a, it was a great event. And, and we heaved a sigh of relief that the rain ended just in time. And like you said, it was done in true Hollywood style, and it had that very sort of Art Deco feel. Well, it had the golden age was was what we were recreating, and and we did it in uh, in every way we could think of. We, uh, I think, everybody who came was excited to be here. It was a a brand new kind of thing. Uh, We had. Uh, the great movie ride, which is still a, a basic uh, attraction in the, in the park, uh, was here to recall some of the greatest films of all time. And Gene Kelly's Dance and Singing in the Rain and John Wade Riding the Horse. Jimmy Cagney uh, with his Tommy Gun. All those, all those uh, figures from, from the golden age were here. And so it, uh, it turned out to be uh, a really truly successful and as be, partly because I think of that all that attention and so forth we had 
an overwhelming uh, attendance during that coming summer that was unbelievable. It, the park was really not big enough to handle all the, all the people that wanted to come. But fortunately, we had two other parks to send them to by that point. So uh, if they couldn't get into the studio, we could send them to the Magic Kingdom or Epcot. Yeah, I remember when, it, when the park first opened, there weren't really a lot of attractions open. There were a few shows, so there wasn't a lot to do initially. Obviously, it's expanded so much over yeah, time. Well, you know, we did as much as we could get ready in time for it. We had some really wonderful attractions. We had a lot of interactive attractions that were kind of new to us, and we had some extravagant restaurants, the Brown Derby and the, the uh, uh, TV uh, cafe, Sci-fi. Yeah, the primetime Prime cafe, time. and those places were, were brand new kind of, kind of setting for, for dining. Uh, we didn't have uh, that early uh, Jim Henson's Muppets uh, Vision TV, which came along two or three years later. We have made a lot of other changes, but we did have a back lot where they were able to see the houses that they were familiar from television shows. They were able to, uh, we, we did a recreation of a New York street with Washington Square, and up at the end of the street you saw what appeared to be a, a 50-story building, but was uh, just a, a mock-up and so forth. So uh, it, it, did, uh, it did enable people to actually have the feel of, of being inside a movie set. And in addition to, like I said before, there was always the, the, the possibility that you might see not only a celebrity here, but you might see a real production going on, because New York Street at the time was actually used for productions. I remember yeah. um, seeing how they were able to take down the facade of the Chrysler Building, if they wanted to make it look like a different city, and you might see a movie or a TV show. A, quite a few commercials here. We did uh, a lot of, um, of, um, of editing and so forth on various films and, and so forth. We didn't have any big productions of, of major uh, TV or major motion pictures done here uh, because as, as we discovered years earlier at Disneyland, trying to do a major Hollywood production in the middle of 30,000 <laughs> tourists is not all... Sounded good in theory, but... <clears throat> but it, um, it nevertheless was, was used for, for a lot of different things. I, I mentioned the Mickey Mouse Club. We we had uh, uh, Ed McManus and the, the, the star show that he did, the kind of the amateur hour show that he had, and we're doing another one now based on the American Idol, which is very successful in giving people who come to the park a chance to show off their talents on stage in front of an audience. We had uh, a television set where we did a, a mock-up of a typical TV sitcom, and we had people from the audience who took some of the... Uh, extra roles in, in that. So all of those shows uh, turned out to be very, very uh, attractive and, and very successful. We later added Sunset Boulevard, the Hollywood Tower of Terror, which gave us the first of, well, actually, I guess the second of our thrill rides because earlier than that we had uh, uh, put in Star Tours as a uh, spinoff from Star Wars, uh, which was a uh, uh, simulating space flight uh, and and make it very very exciting too so we had a big opening for that with George Lucas and a lot of the stars from from that movie uh, from Star Wars here we had the Indiana Jones stunt theater in the beginning which was a, a tremendous production in addition to recreating a, a, a set of some size it was a 
the production of, of that was a, uh, the stunt show of it was, and still is, a major show. And that's what it is. It, it, the studios opened with wonderful theatrical productions, much like it still has now. And what it opened up with is what I think we're starting to see coming back to a certain degree now are a lot of interactive shows, interactive type of experiences for guests that aren't just passive where they sit and watch, but they actually get a chance to stand up, participate, and be well, a part of it. It's always been a name. It's not always easy to accomplish, but, but because people's talents do vary an awful lot. But, but no, uh, the interactivity, uh, I remember the sound show early on, it able to, people to go in and listen to, to uh, uh, on earphones that, that they felt they were, they were having a barber's... Uh, shaver go through their head, go over the head and so forth so it, we, we demonstrated the sound techniques and so forth we did a, a monster sound show that was fun and, and again some of the audience got a chance to participate in that and to create, help create the sounds I so desperately wanted to be the guy that got up on the Tonight Show set or the Gilligan's Island set um, and I think I used to probably you know bother my parents more times than not to keep going back I knew next time would be the one I'd, I'd get picked yeah well it, it, you, you didn't always make it but you, you got a chance to see fellow audience members up there on stage uh, uh, taking a part and making fools of themselves usually but but no that was that was it, it, it's a good show I, there, there of course have continued to be changes and updating and new ideas and, and as new uh, movies come out we take advantage of them uh, We've developed a show uh, that's still here, The Little Mermaid, which is a, a theater show that that is uh, in many ways very interactive and much more engulfing than, the, than just seeing the film. I remember, too, especially looking back, just quickly going back to the, uh, to the grand opening, uh, something or somebody, really, that was originally planned, I think, to be a much more important or visible part of maybe this park and maybe the entire Walt Disney World was Roger Rabbit. Um, not only was there a planned sort of land for him, but oftentimes you'd see Roger out with Mickey. He was sort of trying to become that that second. Well, of course, he was he, he was a you know a big time idol at at the time that the movie came out because it was a huge success, and he was so different than in character than any of our other characters. So it was a natural to make use of it. We talked about developing some rides that. Uh, based on Roger Rabbit that didn't really come about, but we did develop some playground areas and whatnot based on the robbery. And also on uh, Honey, I Shrunk the, Ki- the Kids, we developed a playground area for that soon after the opening that has been very successful, uh, giving kids the feeling of being uh, overcome by this huge set that surrounds them. And from the very beginning, authenticity was key, not only in having celebrities here, but in having real productions but in how the Chinese theater was constructed. And obviously a very important part of that were the handprints in the cement, something that started from day one. Yeah. We started that with the stars that were here for the opening and it continued ever since. Every time a star of some note comes and is willing to do so, why we put their hands in cement out in front of the Chinese theater. And so it's become in many ways a, a East Coast version of, of the real thing in Hollywood. Thinking back to the early days of the studios or that early opening day or as you're getting ready for that, for that grand opening and press event. Any sort of memories really that stick out in your mind as being the most funny or something that really sort of stays with you 20 years later? Well, we, there, are, there are a number, I guess, that are a little bit hard to catch up right away. 
uh, at the drop of a hat, but um, one I remember we, we had a major magazine come in uh, like a month ahead of time to shoot some stuff, and we got him a chance to go up on top of the the ball at the near the main entrance and get up high and a lot of things that we had to work hard to to accomplish for them we got a chance to shoot inside the uh, great movie ride which was very difficult because the lighting is not intended for photography purposes but we were able to accomplish that uh i remember it was it was a real uh a lot of fun to be here with with uh, Michael Eisner and Frank Wells, who were all so enthusiastic, particularly about this project, uh, and walking with them through the park in the days before it opened, and having sitting with them as we took the first ride on the great movie ride, and pointing out the things that needed still needed to be fixed, and all those things, uh, a great part of the memories that I that I uh, share. I do know that we we accomplished some things that I would have never dreamed we could do. Uh, in terms of attracting major electronic media, we had uh, uh, in a, well over 100 radio stations and probably 50 or 60 television stations broadcasting live from here simultaneously during that opening day or the, the, uh, the, the day after that pre- pre- preview. Uh, and we had you know 10 or 12 uplink satellite trucks in place. Uh, and accomplishing that from a logistical standpoint was was amazing uh and i didn't have a whole lot to do i had some guys on my <laughs> staff that could could get those things done and they they did them and it, to see a hundred radio stations in little booths all that had to be designed and built and everything ahead of time stretched out around the circle in the middle of the park uh, every one of them uh interviewing a different disney person about what this new uh, studio was about, and, and you know, I you couldn't couldn't buy that <laughs> with any amount. It, a far cry from July 1955 in Disneyland. Yeah, well, uh, at at that point we had a uh, we had a uh, uh, one television show covering <laughs> it. it. Was a, an ABC. It was actually produced by the news department. There were cables running down the street all over the place because they they hadn't didn't have electronic gear. You know they had these big studio cameras and they were all connected to the central control place by cables the size of your arm, uh, and they cluttered up the street and people chipped over but everything else. But we didn't have any. We had newspaper and magazine people there, but not very much at all uh, electronic media coverage. That electronic media wasn't particularly important at that point. And you mentioned quickly Michael Eisner, who was here. He was here for the opening ceremonies. He, he brought in the first family of the day, uh, along with Harvey Corman, as we were talking about before. And I think people forget how much of Michael Eisner was in this park. I mean, he sort of took it from that initial idea of a pavilion at Epcot to sort of, you know, really what we have yeah, today. No, it was actually... Michael uh, came up with the, with the idea, and he went to the people in Imagineering and said, "Hey, I I think we ought to try to do you know a movie studio park." And they said, "Okay, let us show you some of the drawings we've been making for the last five years." <laughs> they, it was not a, 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 a terribly uh, difficult idea to come up with. It was a natural, partly because they for years people had been crying to get in to see the Disney Studios and others in Hollywood. Uh, Disney Studios had a fairly good-sized back lot and, and a lot of interesting uh, things to tour, but you couldn't afford to have 
40,000 people <laughs> a day doing it. You've obviously seen not just Walt Disney World, but Disneyland and other theme parks go through so many changes through the years. What do you think of the studios today versus 20 years ago? Well, I think it's making progress. I, I would I, I would like to see more special event kind of things, as we did more of, I think, at that time. But it takes a lot of money, and uh, you can never really prove how much good some of them do. Uh, the fact that we had the American Television uh, Hall of Fame awards take place here for five years running, I know helped to build things, but how many people came to the park just because they happened to run across that, I don't know. Um, but I, I think it overall that, that it still is carrying on a great tradition, which Walt started and, and Michael Eisner and many others uh, uh, continued in, in the later years. Uh, and the fact that that he and, and Frank Wells, the two of them together, are really the ones responsible, were able to build not only... Epcot had been built when they, when they arrived, but they created what, uh, in my estimation, was the biggest hotel building program in the history of the world. 20,000, 25,000 hotel rooms in a period of 10 years in all kinds of different, uh, the, from, from very modest uh, costing hotel rooms to very expensive ones to uh, uh, beginning with the Grand Floridian and, and then moving into getting the designs by uh, some of the world famous architects who did the Swan and Dolphin and the, and the Beach and Yacht Club and the other hotels around the property uh, it is, it, that alone has been an amazing development and of course all supported by the attraction of the parks they, they, uh, they created not only um, the studio, but Typhoon Lagoon, Pleasure Island, uh, Blizzard Beach, uh, and the Disney Animal Kingdom, all of which were, were huge multi-million dollar undertakings that it took a lot of guts to do and a lot of imagination to carry forward. I agree, and I think you know for so many years, Michael Eisner has, has unfortunately sometimes remembered more for the negative things, and I think, and that's why I wanted to make a point that this park was so much because of him. Well, it certainly was. And I, mean, he, I, I, as I emphasized before, I felt that Michael and Frank together were a team unlike any other, and they were close to being the equal of Walt. <laughs> and that's saying and that's a lot. That's saying a lot. And uh, that they had enthusiasm, they had great ideas, they had uh, the ability to carry, carry forward and to get the financing for it and all those other things that it took to, to do. Uh, Michael uh, came to be criticized for micromanaging, but uh, to me, uh, he was he was much better when he was micromanaging than when he <laughs> decided that wasn't a good thing to do. I think when Frank died, it did take some of the the life out of out of uh, out of Frank out of uh, Michael, and I he went on to other things, and and uh, I he has to be given credit for the the architectural achievements, the achievements in entertainment and so forth, and some of the things we did and some of the things that he gave his approval to do uh, were, have never been done before, and I'm not sure they will ever be done again. I agree, and again, not trying to compare him to Walt and his brother, but the success was in the partnership between he and Frank, much like it was between Walt and Roy. Yeah, very, very much so, and, and I, I don't know whether any one man can be 
Uh, I don't really class Michael as being a genius in the same sense that Walt was, but he certainly, uh, in terms of accomplishments, uh, what he did for the company was was uh, unbelievable. You know, he took a small company and made made it the second largest media company in the country, with uh, by the acquisition of ABC and and all the things that went with it, all of the uh, cable channels and so forth that went with it. There's, or ESPN and all that were an outgrowth of all that combination. And it certainly has, has been fun to watch it grow and, and to continue growing, and I, I have every confidence it will, it will continue moving forward as time goes along. I agree. And I, now I have to ask you, because I still believe that everybody, when they come here, even if you've worked here, even if you're here in a professional capacity, has a little bit of the, of the kid left in them. So when you walk <laughs> through the studios, looking at it now or looking back 20 years from now, what was your favorite attraction? What's the thing that you enjoyed here at the studios the most? That's always the toughest question. It was one that, that Walt was asked 10,000 times. And I've been asked quite a few. I don't know that anybody's got the right answer. Walt used to say it was the people, and I have to say that's pretty close to it. Me Just watching people having fun out here is a, is a wonderful reward. As far as the ones that I like best... Um, well, I like the bo- great movie ride a lot, and I think the way they did presented the uh, uh, tour of the studio and all was it was very creative. Um, and I, I love to come out here and eat, and I, you know, all, <laughs> the, all those things. It's hard to pin down any one thing because it is a total experience that involves all kinds of different things that happen during a day. And if you're lucky to have most of those be fun experiences. And don't always, but you know, when the kids start crying or the day's too hot or a lot of other things can enter into it, but when they all fit together, it, there's nothing like it in all the world. I agree with you, but it's okay if you want to say that, that the Hollywood Brown Derby is your favorite attraction. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do like to eat. <laughs> Great. Well, Charlie, I appreciate you sitting with me again here at the studios recounting some of your stories. You have so many through your storied career with the company. I highly recommend people go and check out your book, which is Spinning Disney's World, Memories of a Magic Kingdom Press Agent. I'll put links to that in the show notes. I also want to keep in touch with you because I know you do make an appearance, uh, appearances from time to time at NFFC and other events around the country. I totally recommend people coming out to try and meet you and listen to you speak firsthand. Um, and also visit your website, which is TravelPhotoRidgeway.com. And again, Charlie Ridgeway, Disney legend. Thanks so much. Thanks, Lou. I hate to start off a segment with an apology, but I must, as it's been way too long since I've answered some of your emails, and it's all Becky's fault. I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding, of course, as things have obviously been crazy with the packing and the move and getting settled, but it's still Becky's fault. Um, (laughs) Wow. I'm kidding. But obviously, joining me again this week to tackle your questions is none other than the owner of MEI and Mouse Fan Travel, the lovely Ms. Becky Mankin. 
Well, hi, Lou. It's great to be back. And I guess I should have sent you that URL to the, the moving company that, you know, <laughs> You should have been using. <laughs> and, that, and I know that that wasn't quite, you know, like a Richard Sherman style in, intro, but, you know, you know you're know, you feeling the love anyway, I'm sure. I, I'm still working on mine. I'm still working <laughs> on mine. Well, you better have a great, you better have a great catchphrase goodbye because you've had like six months to work on it. Now, I was waiting for all of the flood of emails to, to suggest things, but I haven't seen anything, yeah, so I, I get a flooding. buy for this week. <laughs> we'll see. We'll come up I with I get something. a buy. <laughs> all right, listen, I'm way behind. I, Emails are piling up. The, the whole spare bedroom is full of emails. So let's get right into it. Question number one. Lou, want to start off by saying, love the show. We're planning our trip for this May and wanted to get your thoughts or advice. I was reading on one of the Disney planning websites that says the Magic Kingdom has a quote unquote light attendance on Sundays. But at the same time, I see that on Sunday in May, the Magic Kingdom has extended magic evening hours we typically avoid the evening park hours each time due to their higher attendance on those days can you please provide your thoughts or advice keep up the excellent work your show actually makes me look forward to work on mondays that might be my new tagline that's from (laughs) ryan in pittsburgh pennsylvania so the question is sundays extra magic hours crowded days Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. I, I, I have to respectfully disagree with anyone who says the crowds at Magic Kingdom are light on Sundays. Um, feel free to disagree with me as well, but it seems that Magic Kingdom is the park to avoid if you aren't looking for a crowd of people or to, to share this space. I will tell you that I just came back uh, to research this question, particularly. I went there on a Sunday, and I've said this over the past few weeks. You would never know that there's a recession in this country right now because (laughs) I've been there recently and Sunday was very crowded. Now, by the same token, I think we have to qualify this because I think it it very much depends on when you go, the time of year, if it's a holiday weekend. Right now, Sundays, Saturdays, Tuesdays, any day is going to be relatively crowded. Um, Right around Easter time was just, I mean, they were closing the parks uh, on some of those days. Again, you go maybe the first week in December, not so much. A little bit different. It, it seems that the the weekends do tend to be a little bit heavier to Magic Kingdom. I think it might be due to a lot of the locals as well taking their kids in. Um, seems to be the um, the general feel from the people I've talked to. And for Sundays, it's always been my feeling that the Animal Kingdom and sometimes Epcot are better choices for for that day. Uh, and personally, I got to go off topic here or slightly, but I kind of like the extra magic hours after the parade. <laughs> I'm kind of a night owl, so that's a good way to beat the heat if you have that um, that uh, extra magic hour sitting there over at Magic Kingdom on the weekend. That you, might help. You read my mind because I was going to say the same thing. You didn't say, Ryan, if you were going uh, with kids or anything like that, but if you can, if you can do it, I love extra magic hours, especially at the Magic Kingdom. Those nights slash mornings that it's open till 3 a.m., that's all Lou all the time. Because, oh, yeah. <laughs> like you said, after especially after that, that second parade, Magic Kingdom very much empties out. It's a beautiful time of night slash morning to be there. Um, there's very, very little waits. And it's just a nice time, I think, to, to wander through the park. Absolutely, with the lights and the dark and the music. And it, it's a nice atmosphere. Definitely. So... Anyway, let us move on to question number two, and it says, Lou, I just started listening to your podcast, and I have to say, I'm now addicted. 
your attention to everything Disney serves as a much-needed break from studying while in medical school. Wow. You have time to listen to the show during medical school. My fiancé and I <laughs> are lifetime Disney fans, so much so that we've already been to Disney World twice together, we'll be married at Seabreeze Point at Disney's Yacht Club Resort, nice, and we'll celebrate with a trip on board the Disney Wonder cruise ship. You are off to a very good start. Ooh, yeah. nice. So my question is this. Do you know if Disney Resort staff are willing to do anything special for honeymooners? Becky and I are smiling at the same time. Amy <laughs> and I will be spending four nights at Disney Saratoga Springs for the wedding before heading off on our cruise, and we'd love to have some Disney touches to our special moment outside of all our already magical ceremony. Thanks, John, the medical student at the University of Nebraska. Well, you know, this fiancé is getting quite a catch because, John, <laughs> you are thinking right along the great lines here of, of providing the perfect wedding and the perfect honeymoon, from what I can see here. It's a great way to start your lives together, and I love the cruise as a honeymoon destination, too. There are just so many great things to do, and um, there's going to be some uh, some alone time, some adult time, some um, great shows and things to do on the ship, but I digress. <laughs> I... I have heard, of course, that I've heard the tales that the cast members do like to add little magical touches uh, for special celebrations and especially for honeymooners. But, of course, it's not something that they always promise to do. So my best advice is be sure your celebration is noted everywhere on your reservations, on your hotel reservations, on your on your dining reservations. Um, please advise the cast members at check-in and at your restaurants that you're celebrating also, be sure to get the celebration button from guest services or city hall so that you can proudly display the fact that you are on your honeymoon. Um, and I, if a husband will do this, I always grin when, it, when I'm in the, uh, in the parks and I see them running around with the, the Mickey top hat and the bridal ears. Those are so cute and you always get uh, some extra, uh, extra magic out of wearing those as well. I was with you. Up until the ears. No, I'm, I'm only kidding. <laughs> I, I had a feeling. I had a feeling. So I had to kind of, you know, throw that in there. But if I, you wear the ears, John, you're going to score points, I swear. I will say that I own the ears, not necessarily wearing them, but I own the ears, haven't worn them in the park. But I, I agree. First of all, uh, John, your fiance and her parents are probably very happy. She's happy because her fiance is taking her to Disney World and her parents are happy because Dr. John is taking her to <laughs> Disney World. So. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> but I, I'm I you know, what you said, Becky, um, definitely holds true. Let everybody everywhere know that it's your honeymoon and uh, I I'm could almost asterisk guarantee that you'll get a little bit of extra magic here and there. So and uh, we should we I'm definitely gonna do and I'm already planning to do an entire segment on the show about getting married at Walt Disney World and honeymooning at Walt Disney World. So I might oh. not catch you guys in time, but but definitely stay tuned. Perfect. Next question, Becky says, Lou, I have some more questions to add to your already overflowing mailbag. Clearly, you've seen the inside of my house. We're, we're, we are three 18-year-old guys and one 17-year-old 11-month guy in the very early stages of planning our trip to Walt Disney World next year. You may also want to note that we're all either first-time visitors or have not gone since a young age. So here are my questions. Question one. This one's very blunt and it will probably not take you long to answer. What deluxe slash DVC resort should four 18-year-old guys like us stay at? Well, first of all, big thumbs up to you guys 
going DVC slash deluxe resort right out oh, of the yeah. box. I was thinking, you know, you were going to hit Popper All-Star. Becky, we, we may disagree on this one, but I'm sure both the answers will be good. I'd say beach club slash boardwalk. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Stole that thought right out of my head. I would say the same thing, just from the ease of getting around to um, to the the two parks, to Epcot and to Hollywood Studios, and of course the nightlife that happens out on the on the boardwalk. Both are very appealing for that destination. So my and of course, if you stay over at the Beach Club Yacht Club, then you've got access to the pool. True, which is so nice to hang out in the sun if you want to do that for one of the days you're there as well. And beaches and cream. Um, but anyway, but that, which actually leads me to the second part of his question. I, yeah, I have two <laughs> two words for it. Kitchen sink. Move on. We had to bring food into it somehow. Please give us kitchen a restaurant. Sink. Sorry. They want dinner. They want dinner. <laughs> on each They're night each of our thing. stay. That's true. Each one could probably finish a kitchen sink with the choices below. So I interpret this. Uh, Ryan, as, as you want us to decide between the two choices for each night. So night one is either Raglan Road or something in the resort you just chose. Um, let's just, for argument's sake, we'll say Boardwalk and we'll throw Flying Fish. I was going to say Yachtsman, but he asks about that somewhere else. Um, I'm going to say Raglan Road. I think you guys would have a lot of fun in downtown Disney at Raglan Road. Good food, good entertainment, no drinking, boys, um, but really enjoy Raglan Road. Try the shepherd's pie. Yeah, you know, in thinking about that, I'd have to agree. Raglan Road is definitely a fun <laughs> place to hang like, out. Why does that, you know, I really hate to, but I, I guess I have to agree with you. <laughs> because the thought of beaches and cream with those hamburgers and, of course, kitchen sink. Okay. Um, all right, I've never had a kitchen sink. I've watched it being made. I loved it on the Samantha Brown show. Okay, so I just have my mind on the kitchen sink. But I do really enjoy Raglan Road. I think it, it is a really... Um, a well-priced location with a lot of great entertainment. So it's, it's good value. That being said, you should make it a point, even if it's during lunch, to go over to Beaches and Cream, have arguably the best hamburger on property, Pecos Bill, close second, and have a No Way Jose. But anyway, night number two. I just had to get that in there. Nine Dragons. Not much choice here. We've already decided on that one. <laughs> Happy to help. Night three. Sci-Fi Dine-In or 50s Primetime Cafe. Ladies first. Wow. Oh, you would give me that one for, because then, uh, you know, <laughs> this one's hard because I personally, I do like 50s primetime. It is kind of fun. However, we're looking at, at some 18 year old guys who probably get yelled at enough by people <laughs> where if 50s primetime, that's what it is. Your aunt sits you down and you get yelled at for putting your elbows on the table. So I think I'm going to hedge to sci-fi dine in personally. Okay, I'm following that logic. I see it. And now, granted, I think the food at 50s primetime is a little bit of a step up, although I do actually like sci-fi. I think sci-fi has gotten better over the last few years. Um, but I think they're both great, kitschy, great atmosphere places. And yeah, mm -hmm. they, they might actually like sci-fi a little bit better. And the other thing, too, is that how many kids of that generation have actually seen what a drive-in looks like? As opposed to them knowing what I Love Lucy and Leave it to Beaver look like. <laughs> A kitchen table, uh, as opposed to a <laughs> you know, they'll sit table down and go and go. Here. You know, something's wrong with my TV because it's only in black and white. <laughs> exactly. Now, see, I was just there not too long ago, and I got yelled at for putting my elbows on the table. So I'm kind of stuck on that. So I, I'm going with sci-fi on this one. I've worn a bib, and I'm okay with that. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> the next night, they have a choice, and I think this is actually very interesting: beer garden or Le Cellier. 
Now, people are going to say, Lou, come on, man. There's no choice. Le Cellier, one of the best steaks. All I think Yachtsman's better. Um, you got to go there. Remember, four 18-year-old guys, I think they might have a lot of fun over at Beer Garden. You know what? I kind of tend to agree. Unless you're really looking for a steak dinner. If you really want to have uh, you know, a good steak dinner and you're really jonesing for pretzel bread, then Le Cellier, of course. But I think that they'd have more fun at Beer Garden as well. True. The atmosphere is just so much more fun, and there's uh, just a lot more going on. I, I think that you're right. And it's a buffet. Wow, it's a bu- you guys can just eat your faces off and, and totally get your <laughs> money's worth there. So, which leads me to the next one because number five, they're asking between Boma, awesome buffet, or Ohana, which is eat until you cannot eat anymore. Then we'll bring you some more food. Um, <laughs> This is, this is a tough one, too, because I think they would like both of these places. I, I, I'm leaning towards Boma because I think the flavors are just very unique. Um, but I would almost maybe say Ohana only if you go to Tusker House for a meal at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I went to law th- school for three years. Can you tell? I was going to say, you had to throw that Tusker House in there to, to throw my, my entire theory right out the window. But, uh, you know, Boma, I do like Boma. I it does have an interesting menu and and some great flavors and of course it's it's nice choices are available there too but i, I gotta say i like ohana i i like the atmosphere of course there's a lot of games that are being played by the families and so forth but if you can get a reservation right around wishes time too there's a nice nice view um that's going on from the from the park across the way and uh, the the whole thing of being of being able to eat until you drop is always good as well. So <laughs> Ohana wins. <laughs> we're, we're, Ryan, we're working for you guys and your budget on this one. So uh, number six, night number six, Tony's Town Square or Le Cellier or Beer Garden. Uh, those World <laughs> Showcase ones, please don't pick the one you picked earlier. We don't want to go somewhere twice. Um, you're going to Tony's. No, I I, I think this, this is our easy out. Pick Go to Le Cellier one night, go to Beer Garden the other night. I think so as well. I I like Tony's. You know that I like Tony's. I still haven't heard the story as to why you have an interesting um, view of Tony's, but I guess we'll get to that over a drink somewhere. I do. Um, <laughs> I have an interesting view. of. I like Tony's. Uh-huh. Any stories that you've heard about me and Tony's are probably completely made up. Move along. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I agree with you. If if do beer garden one night, LaSalle the other. Excellent. Perfect. So, and his last night, he says, Yak and Yeti, something else in Disney's Animal Kingdom, Boma or Ohana. Again, only consider the ones you haven't picked before. It wouldn't have mattered, Ryan. I was going to tell you to pick Yak and Yeti anyway. I think yeah. it's it's arguably the best, forgetting World Showcase, in park, theme park, restaurant, food. Love it's Yak hidden, and Yeti. It, it is, it's a hidden gem back there. A lot of people really don't realize just how great that menu is. And I definitely enjoy it. Love the Yak. And the Yeti. So. <laughs> so he says, thanks, Lou. And Becky, he actually mentioned you by name and spelled it right for a great show and a great email segment and really brightening my week. Ryan, Ryan, have a great time. Let us know how it goes. Let us know. Um, and if you need a dining companion, I, I can be up there in two hours. Uh, <laughs> next question says, Lou, how effective have the Disney sales, such as buy four nights, get three free, been on keeping crowd levels consistent with the normal years? You know, I'll tell you why I'm laughing. Where the economy isn't in a severe recession, can we still expect smaller or larger crowds based on past history, or have the economy and or Disney sales changed noticeably for 2009? Love the show. That's John from Vestal, New York. 
As I said before, John, question one, I think you would never know there is a recession with by looking at the Disney theme parks. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. The offer, of course, was a big shot in the arm for this little economy. And the clients have reported that the crowds seem to be about the same or sometime, in some cases busier at the parks than they've noticed before in the same time of year, especially on the weekends with, of course, some variants here or there. So it's, it's kind of amazing. We have noticed where a lot of clients have decided instead of taking other trips that they may have taken, like there's any other destination, right? <laughs> but some folks that may have decided uh, or had thought that they were going to go to Europe this year decided to go to Disney instead. So we're seeing a lot of that as well. Right. And the reason why, and we've said this before, is because I think Disney is somewhat recession-proof simply because you know what kind of experience you're going to get. You know that, look, if my family has X amount of dollars to spend – Make those dollars really count. I know that if I go to Disney, I'm going to have a good time. I'm going to get this type of an experience where you're a uh, bit of a crapshoot. Never, mm-hmm. Not so sure. Um, and I think that's probably why. Um, and and I, you know what? I'm, I'm happy to see the parks, you know, crowded like that and that they're not suffering all that much. Oh, absolutely. I, I completely agree. Another thing with your recession-proof um, statement is that we do see people who... Um, rather than staying at a deluxe resort or just kind of scaling back a little bit, might stay at a moderate instead. So where other destinations we're seeing cancellations, we're definitely not seeing it uh, that much at Disney. So I, I think we're going to see these um, consistent crowd levels. Right. And I think what I've been seeing, what other people have been telling me too, is that where they are saving their money is on dining quite often. They mm-hmm. might not eat at a signature restaurant. They might do counter service. They might bring their own food or, or whatnot. Uh, and I think merchandise probably is where is the easiest place. That, and this is a great tip that if you are going, know that you might have to scale back on the amount of souvenirs slash collectibles that you bring home from your trip. So. <laughs> Did you hear that, Lou? What? <laughs> I just, yeah. <laughs> research. It's for research. I do yeah. it for the show. Uh, next question. Hey, Lou. Super Mario drums here. My girlfriend and some of my friends are planning to go to Walt Disney World in November. And I was wondering if you knew, do you have to be 21? to stay on Disney property. Our plan is to stay at one of the value resorts. We haven't decided which one is yet, Pop Century. Um, but we know some hotels require you to be 21, what, to get a room. We'll all be 19 or 20 at the time of the trip, and we're really hoping that we don't have to stay off property. I figured that if anybody knew, it would be you. Thank you, Mario D. And I do know, so I'm going to turn it over to Becky. <laughs> You just need to be 18 years old to check into a Disney resort and stay on property. Woohoo. Mario, party Easy time. enough. Party time, Mario. Awesome. Next question. Hey, Lou, I've been listening to your podcast for the past nine months or so, and I'm just getting the nerve up to email you. Wow. I have a, I have a food-related question. Well, great one out Woo-hoo! of the box. <laughs> and naturally <laughs> thought of you. I think I'm getting a reputation. My wife and I and our two kids, ages 8 and 11, are going to be at Walt Disney World over spring break. This will be the fourth visit for our kids. Awesome. We've started a tradition on our Epcot day of eating at one of the pavilions and then staying at the restaurant or close to it for illuminations. We've done this in England and Japan, and I'm wondering if you have a recommendation for a good place for us to eat and then watch illuminations. If we could just stay at our tables and watch it, that would be preferred, but aren't adamant about this. Thanks for any advice. Love the show. Andy Marquis. And he's from Minute. I, I work. I, I got Marquis. I can't get Minitrista, Minnesota. There's a lot of M's. <laughs> Minnesota. And M's. Yeah, thank you. 
Um, I think too. I think we might have we might have some differing opinions here. I'm gonna throw two quick ones out there. Okay. I'm gonna steal it from you. Go through. Le Chef de France or Bistro de Paris, if you can get up there, and or Nine Dragons in China. Really? Really? Nine Dragons <laughs> since the refurb really? with, the, with the windows? Yeah, I love Nine Dragons. Okay. I, You're not digging you know, Nine Dragons? I have not been there in quite some time, I have to admit. So that, that is some place that I have to go back to and try again. It, it did suffer from an interesting reputation quite a while ago, and I just just haven't had a chance to fit that into the schedule so you know hey, what? we might have to have a meeting there you know what i'm taking you to nine dragons i'm take i'm gonna change your mind about nine dragons all right everybody hearing that right okay that's what I'm, ta- <laughs> I said I'm taking you there i didn't say it was pain i said no i will show you nine dragons and but go ahead give me um give me one or two of, of your favorite choices that are not france china japan or england yeah see and that's that's the thing is my two favorites they've already mentioned in there because Tokyo Dining in Japan has the wonderful windows there. Rose and Crown, of course, has the you know wonderful outdoor seating if you can get it. Um, I, all right. Don't laugh at me, but I actually like the counter surface in Mexico that's right there that you can just grab something and, and sit in the uh, um, on the tables that are right on the water's edge, which is kind of you know nice for a economical, quick I'm meal. nodding. I'm with you. I'm all over it. <laughs> Remember, can't see you. Don't know if you're disagreeing with me or not. However, now the France thing, I'm, I got to tell you, I have kind of steered clear of that one for a while as well. Not from it being, you know, having bad reports or anything, but just because I've never really been a huge fan of French food. So um, there's another place that apparently you're going to have to show me so you can change my <laughs> mind. <laughs> well, but of course, fine. Okay, I'll take but, you out to another dinner. But I got good. We're up to three now. This is good. Um, so, the the important thing though is that at any of these locations that do, do have a a view, you're not guaranteed a window seat, and you're not guaranteed anywhere that you're going to be able to to see. So. I would actually advise to look at some of the menus of all of the restaurants and then um, it, it make it such a time that you can be done right before, about 30 minutes before illumination starts so you can come out and, and find the, the key spot to watch the show. True. And, and you do realize that French food isn't all like little snails and French <laughs> fries or French toast, right? I mean, we'll, we will have to have a dining experience in, in France. Well, you and me and food, I, I think that that probably uh, – research – Let's move on. Okay. Next question says, Lou, I'm a fairly new listener who's recently rekindled their love of all things Disney. I love hearing that as a quick aside. When I was little, my family traveled to Disney World on a regular basis. However, as my brother and I grew older, we lost interest as being a Disney fan isn't necessarily cool. I disagree. When you're in high school or college. Okay, maybe you're right. My parents decided to take one last trip to Disney World this summer before either of us got married and started our own family. Luckily, I found your podcast and trivia sites just before the trip, and since then, I've been hooked. I listen to the podcast nearly every day at work, and I'm trying to catch up. You've got a long way, I'm sure. So far, I'm on show 45 and still can't get enough. I just wanted to let you know that I enjoy what you're doing. Hope you've captured others like me. Thanks to you, I've seriously thought about going back to school so I can be an Imagineer. Mm. Very cool. Now, for my question, I've been to Disney several times, 10, and I've seen references to virtually every animated film, whether obvious or subtle. However, I've never seen references to either the Jungle Book or Robin Hood movies. Is this true, or have I overlooked these references? I'm not really sure where Robin Hood would fit, but the Jungle Book could easily be incorporated into the Jungle Cruise or Animal Kingdom. I look forward to hearing from you. 
Keep up the good work. So we're looking for some sort of Jungle Cruise, I'm sorry, Jungle Cruise, Jungle <laughs> Book or Robin Hood references. The first thing, obviously, that came to mind were the characters. And I know from the Jungle Book, yeah. I've seen King Louie and Baloo out quite a bit, especially over in Animal Kingdom. And Robin Hood, you can see Robin Hook, uh, Robin Hook, wow, Robin Hood, <laughs> Friar Tuck, and the Sheriff of Nottingham. Again, not all the time, not everywhere, but you do see them occasionally. Now, believe it or not, that's all in my sleep-deprived state that I was able to come up with as far as references to them. I was thinking maybe around the studios or the Magic Kingdom for a window or a reference or some sort of homage to them somewhere. Uh, oh, well, you've, you've got the Friar's Nook now in um, in Fantasyland. It came, to, it came to me. I had oh. an epiphany. Look at that. Just for you, <laughs> Friar's Nook in Fantasyland. I'm I'm afraid I'm just not much of a help on this one this time around. So you know what's going to happen is that I'm I'm going to be there in a few days, and now I'm going to be looking for Jungle Book and Robin Hood everywhere. And I'm sure if if and it's a very good chance that I did miss some other very very obvious one, somebody please email me. And again, I'll blame the long drive to Florida and lack of sleep. Anyway. <laughs> Next question comes from Michelle Pittman. She says, hey, Lou, just returned from my first vacation to Walton. A lot of, lot of newbies, a lot of new people. Good. My sister-in-law, Kathy, and I visited for nine awesome days. Great way to, to indoctrinate yourself into the Disney magic. While touring Epcot, we heard the British invasion. Do you know if they recorded a record and is it available for purchase? Love, love your show. Thank you, Michelle. Love, love you back. Um, please, please me. <laughs> British Invasion, obviously, real quick, they play in the back of the UK Pavilion. They are a Beatles cover band. And uh, according, awesome. to the, yeah, according to their website, which is thebritishinvasion.com, they claim to be the longest-running show in the history of Walt Disney World. They've been there for more than 12 years, perform more shows in a week than most Beatles tributes perform in an entire year. I wow. did not know that. Now, that being said... I did not see a CD on their site, and I don't mean to be rude by saying this, but I think if you wanted to hear them, you should probably just buy the Beatles one album. <laughs> <laughs> That's the easy way out. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I didn't see anything on their site about um, about a CD. You know, I was trying to think if I've seen any any carts or anything around there, if they had, had sold anything kind of like they do with the others, but no, I can't think of anything. Uh, Michelle, honestly, I'm I on my next trip back. I'm actually very curious to see if this cover band does have a, a CD, and I will go and look. And if so, uh, I'll either mention it on the show or I'll post something up on the site. Next question says, "Hey, Lou, I'm a big fan of the show, and in the process of catching up on all the old shows I missed, I have just one question that I'm hoping could be answered fairly easily. For my past three trips, I have leftover days on three different park tickets. Two of those tickets." have park hopper with no expiration days left and one has a single park with no expiration days left. I did a bit of research, obviously not enough because I'm being lazy and asking you for the answer. And I found out that on my next visit, I can consolidate those passes onto my resort key card. If I stay on property. Now, my question is this, since a few of the days are park hoppers and a few of them are not, will these still be consolidated onto a single key card or will I need to maintain separate passes? I guess an easy solution would be to pay the 50 or so dollars to convert the remaining days into park hoppers, but I was curious all the same. Keep up the incredible work. Hope to meet you at the parks in one of your meets of the month. And that comes from John. I was told there'd be no ticket math. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm getting out the abacus. Hold on a second. Oh, man. So sorry. The, the, the ticket questions are always an interesting um, uh, thing to tackle because, honestly, the answer to the question really depends on who you talk to. I, I tend to get a lot of different answers when we, we approach Disney with what happens if and when, when there's several different park tickets. Now, of course, the good news is that they will give you a value or tell you what the value is of the tickets that you're trying to convert. Um, however, we're... I tend to get different answers each time that we ask if you can take them all down into one or if you have to maintain separate tickets. So I'm I'm not going to commit one way or another at this point because uh, I haven't been able to really get a straight answer from Disney or guest services. But take the tickets to, to guest relations when you uh, arrive and they'll be able to give you the value or give you your options to be able to consolidate them down. Right. And it's good to know that he will be able to do something with them. Those tickets still have a value that he can use. Correct. So it's not like Correct. they're going to go away. Right. Becky, the next question comes from Marissa Gerleski. And she says, hey, Lou, my husband and I are huge fans of the show. I remember going to Disney World in the early 1980s and having a character breakfast on a boat. The Empress Lily. Marissa, you just made me smile. Can you tell me where that boat was located? And did it move, or was it just a building shaped like a boat? Thanks for your help, Marissa. Okay, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that what Fulton's is now? You, my friend, you are a smart young lady. Woohoo! <laughs> I'm so glad <laughs> I got that right. Now over, tell me what year. Right. Now tell me what year the Empress Lily became Fulton's, and I'll really be impressed. Uh, I wouldn't oh, have known wow. if I didn't have my notes I can't, go- I can't Google fast <laughs> enough. I can't Google fast enough. Um, uh, 1996. Ex- exactly. Exactly. Empress Lily <gasps> closed in 95, reopened as, as 96 as a full. And I don't want to take this. We're going to take I'll a little. We're going to take a, a mini way back machine trip here. Come with me. Join me, Becky. Okay. I'm, I'm with you. I loved the Empress Lily. And I remember going there as a kid. That opened back in 77. Um, obviously, still where the Fulton's Crab House is today along the shores of Lake Buena Vista. And when it opened, it had the same sort of boat-like shape to it, although really it's just a a static replica of an old paddle wheel steamer type riverboat. Um, It's actually anchored in. The boat cannot and does not move. It's got this huge, gigantic concrete foundation to it. Uh, But when it opened originally, it, it was made up of a number of different restaurants as opposed to now when it's just the single Fulton's Crab House. And actually was the location of the first Disney character breakfast. And that's why I remembered so much. And I actually have, in storage, a certificate on my wall, a framed certificate from the original character breakfast that had a picture of the Empress Lily. It was surrounded in a frame uh, by all different classic Disney characters. And it was signed, I think, by, I don't even remember who. Um, But there was, like I said, there was the Baton Rouge Lounge. There was the Steerman's Quarters, the Fisherman's Deck. uh, All sort of very different themes to them. Very, very um, ornately decorated, um, much like it is now. Um, I know somewhere, too, I have a a ticket, a little orange ticket for the Empress Lily character breakfast, which was like $9, $10, which is giving you an idea of of just how old I am. And it was. (laughs) But now it's Fulton's, um, which is is certainly worthy of a dining review in and of itself. Um, But yeah, I I don't know if you ever remember going to the Empress Lily way back in your Younger I, 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 yeah, hey now, <laughs> for me actually, my uh, my first visit to Disney World wasn't until '96, so I I missed out on that whole fun thing at the very beginning that you're talking about when you were what two? 
<laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh, so many years ago. And you know, do you know where the Empress Lily got her name? I, I would suspect it's from Lillian. See, this is why you're coming back. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> All right, now, now I feel better. Excellent. Moving on. Who, by the way, was Walt's wife, for, for those who didn't make that. Really? Yeah. yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, thank you for that little trip down memory lane. Anyway, next question says, hey, Lou, love the show. Listened when it was the old show. Ever think of using playing that old intro music again? It was great. Anyway, quick question. What is the difference between staying at a deluxe resort and a deluxe villa? Is it solely the room, as it seems, or are there more perks? Can you fit more people into the room? So, for example, looking at the Jumbo House Villas and Kidani Villas, they show the exact same pictures. Is there a difference? I thought that a newer area was being built for one of them, but looking at the cost, the regular lodge is still almost $100 cheaper a night than both villas, and I'm not sure what else I'm getting other than a bigger room with a kitchen. I'm not in that I'm not in the room that much anyway, so if villas were perhaps a two-bedroom you could share with another couple or small family, I could see maybe otherwise not sure about the benefit of the villa. I hope you or Becky again, Becky Benjamin by name, could come up with the perfect answer explaining this. Keep up the great show. Thanks, Dan. Becky, give him the perfect answer. Well, first of all, I like Dan. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate that one. Um, the, the example that you gave between Jumbo House and Kidani Village, both of those are actually Disney Vacation Club properties. So that's why the pictures are the same right now. Kidani Village doesn't open up until May 1st. So um, it, it would make sense that they're using the same pictures. But for Animal Kingdom is probably the most complicated of the, the uh, examples that you could have chosen because there's Animal Kingdom Lodge, the Jumbo House, and then Kidani Village. And the Animal Kingdom Lodge is where you're going to find the standard rooms that you're talking about. Um, the standard rooms would be close to the studio that you would find at, Kadan, at uh, Kadani Village or Jumbo House. Both of those options sleep for people, but one of the differences, the bedding is different between a villa studio and a standard lodge room. Standard lodge rooms have two queens or um, a king and a single sleeper. That's usual for the standard rooms. However, the villa studios have one queen bed and then a sleeper sofa, which some people do and don't like to sleep on. Um, the villa studios, you also get some little extras like the little kitchenette cubby that features a microwave and so forth. The DVC properties, the Disney Vacation properties, they're like condo units, so you can get a one-bedroom, two- or three-bedroom villa <clears throat> Excuse me, that can accommodate from anywhere from 5 to 12 guests. They include a kitchen, which is different, obviously, than the standard um, uh, resort rooms. And then, of course, a, a dining table and area. My personal favorite is it also has washer and dryer if you're in a one-bedroom or two or three. Um, so there's lots of saving opportunities. If you're looking at the difference between going with a villa or going with a standard room, for example, you, um, you can share with another couple or family if you're in a one-bedroom or larger. It has easy access for, say, grabbing snacks or making a meal or two in the villa to avoid the cost of eating out three or time, th uh, for three meals a day. And of course, you all also can save on the airline baggage fees by packing less when you can easily do a lot of wash, which is why I always kind of gravitate towards the one bedrooms because I like the laundry. <laughs> so the, the DVC properties do have benefits. It is the room. It is the amenities that are available with, within the room of the, um, the rooms you choose. 
Becky, that very well may have been the most near-perfect answer ever. Excellent! No, <laughs> I'm sure I'm missing something, and there's probably listeners out there going, but she missed, but she forgot. So, you know, feel free to, uh, to write in and add those, because uh, Lou loves email. <laughs> Please do. Send them along. <laughs> All right, we got a couple more I want to get to before we finish up, so we're going to try and blow through these last three as quickly as possible. Famous last words. Uh, hey, Lou, I thought you may be able to answer this question again with Becky. What is going yes! on here? As part of your speed email session, you must have known it's going to be one of the last ones. As part of the <laughs> What Will You Celebrate promotion, I know that if I have an annual pass, I can get a gift card for about $71. Can I receive this gift card at one park spend half the day there, then go to a different park on the same day and continue to use the gift card. Thanks a lot for answering my question. I hope you can use it on the show. P.S. Love the show. Keep up the great work. That's Alexander Malman 13. Well, there's great news for Alexander. Yes, you can certainly park hop with your birthday gift card. Um, However, one of the things a lot of people don't realize about the gift cards is that it does have restrictions on how it's used. So you can't just uh, use it like cash everywhere. It's good towards specific things like PhotoPass, select merchandise, at select locations. So there are places that won't accept it. So be aware of that. Um, they can't be used for food or beverage with some exceptions. And I, I guess my best advice with that is to make sure you always ask first if they will accept the the little birthday gift card. But the um, initial answer is that yes, you can park hop with the gift card. Definitely. And remember too, Alexander, uh, Becky, correct me if I'm wrong, you can only pick up that gift card on the exact day of your birthday, not like your that, birthday trip. It's got to be that day. That's correct. And you have to do the pre-registration. Um, best to do that online. And then there is a birthday card uh, or birthday kiosk outside of each of the four, um, uh, sorry, each of the four parks that you have to pick it up at, but it has to be on your actual birth date and you have to have your identification to prove it as well. Exactly. And the next question comes from Kevin, who knows it's the speed round. He says, Lou, love the show. On with the question. <laughs> of the 31,000 <laughs> acres making up Walt Disney World property, how much of that is usable? Isn't some of it set aside for conservation? Well, Kevin, yes, you are right. Um, there are about, give or take, you know, they they buy and sell property every now and then, about 30, 31,000 acres. Believe it or not, and this is, this is the amazing part, especially when you compare to Walt's problems with Disneyland, only about a quarter of it has been developed, which is, which is awe-inspiring. But there is another quarter that's designated specifically as a wilderness preserve that will never, ever, ever be built on. Um, and I'll give you a quick little, little background on that. Um, Back in April of 93, Walt Disney Company, they enter into a partnership with the Florida Department of Environmental Regulation and the Nature Conservancy and five other agencies, and they establish what's called the Disney Wilderness Preserve. That's on about 8,500 acres on land that they acquired back in 1991 um, when master planning had been completed by Walt Disney Imagineering. Uh, They realized that the wetlands that were lost to development had to be replaced so they created some nearby wetlands of at least the equal size. They purchased this 8,500-acre Walker Ranch, which is just about south of Walt Disney World, dedicated that as a wilderness preserve. Um, they also placed permanent conservation easements on 7,500 acres of Walt Disney World property, guaranteed that that will always remain in its natural state. 
Um, they've actually spent more than $40 million uh, on all these things, and you can actually go and visit the Wilderness Preserve. And uh, I'm gonna, I have to do a segment on this because I think it's actually very interesting. You can actually call 407-935-0002. I'll also put a link in the show notes where you can find out more about the Wilderness Preserve. It's about 15 miles south of the actual resort area, um, but it's you, you can go visit and you can actually tour the Wilderness Preserve. And uh, there's my long-winded answer to the sure. very short question. Wow, I had no idea. I learned something today. Just one thing? <laughs> All right, I learned a couple of things today. <laughs> you just lost the dinner, okay? So watch. Oh, no, 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 no. I have three now. I have three. I'm keeping track. All right, the source last question is fun, and it's fun for two reasons. Number one, because I think it's an interesting question. And it's two, it's from my buddy Josh. Josh, the, who calls in to the voicemail all the time. He says, Lou, it's Josh from Michigan. He says, I was wondering, out of all the pieces of your collection... What are your three favorite pieces? And Josh, my answer is simple. I don't know because it's all in storage in a warehouse in New Jersey somewhere. <laughs> and I'm missing my stuff. Um, What's the address to that uh, that storage unit there, uh, Lou? <laughs> listen, there's only so much you can fit in the back of a Honda Odyssey that's going to schlep down, you know, 95 to, uh, to Florida. But uh, I can tell you just off the top of my head a couple of things. Um, and, and it is sometimes like choosing your favorite child that I really enjoy or different pieces have different meaning to me. So there are some things that I have in my collection from childhood that my parents bought me. Um, and I have pictures of, of being in Tomorrowland with my dad and my mom and my, my very young brother and my really bad hair and bad clothes with, you know, certain <laughs> things that are in my collection. Um, there's also signed things from Ralph Kent, um, who was a, a Disney legend and Imagineer right before he passed away um, from Richard Sherman that he sent me, which is is clearly one of the prized things in my collection. Um, I have an old secret panel mystery box chest from the Haunted Mansion. I'm going to actually do a video segment about this because it's one of the most unique and, and fun things I have. Uh, wow. I have a cigar box from the old tobacconist shop, and I just think that's very unique. Huh. Um a lot of maps, a lot of old paper, a lot of old intact A through E ticket books in like perfect condition, like framed up up on the wall. Um, <sighs> a lot of the old original stuff really is are, are some of my favorites. Wow. Okay, I'm drooling. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. That is so cool. I, I don't have anywhere near the collection you've got, Lou. So if if you you know care to name me in your will <laughs> later on, that would be great. Um, for me, I'll, I have a few items that I just cherish from the memory of of getting them. For example, I've got you know a few items like a, a very special pin from Club Thirty Three that I I just cherish from having the memory of of my first visit when I was there. Um, but I gotta tell you. Well, all right. The second thing is the the two posters that I have for the Disney and Magic and the Disney Wonder with the captains that signed it. I love those. That means I'm hopefully going to get two more <laughs> in the next few years. But last but not least, and this one is when again a memory of when I went exceedingly nuts during my backstage Magic adventure by Disney last year in Mickey's of Glendale when they said you've got 30 minutes to shop go and we were running around like rabbit animals with American Express cards in hand <laughs> um, <laughs> I bought a, a cast member pin set of all the parks that, that I just think is incredible a limited edition set that I love and of course bought some things for um, uh, 
for the auctions, of course, that we've done for you and your dream team. And and luckily, because I knew that I probably would never walk through the gates of Mickey's of Glendale again, even though I am in October, <laughs> <laughs> I, I bought enough to uh, to have a couple of more things for the auction this year for the dream team. So hopefully there'll be some people that are interested in that as well. But the other one, I haven't bought it yet because I'm planning to do it on the next shopping spree. So we'll see what I come back with. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing, like trying to define what a favorite piece or, or what favorite things that you have in your collection is very difficult because I think there it are is. different favorites for different reasons. There, There's value that could be associated with things. There's monetary value. There's sentimental value. Um, I'm sure when I start digging some of these things out, I'll be like, I completely forgot that I even had this. Um, it's going to be like Christmas when I finally get to oh, unbox yeah. all it my stuff. And when you were just talking about pictures of, of you as a child, uh, there's pictures of me and my dad in Disneyland on my very first trip on my seventh birthday with me with a hideous haircut, by the way. Um, oh, you but, so know that I'm getting a copy of that picture <laughs> for the show notes. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, I'll have to see if I can even find them and I'll hide them from Chris really, really fast so he can't go find them and send them to you. Um, it's it's some wonderful pictures that you know just have the memories of my father who's now passed that gave me this wonderful love for Disney. So I, I got to say that 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 too is um, is treasured memories and treasured pieces. Absolutely, and, I, and I'd actually love to hear from other people about maybe what some of their favorite pieces are in their collection, or even like what their holy grail might be. Like, what's that one thing that you would love to have as part of your collection? You know, is it something like for me too? The, uh, the theme, the stuff that comes out of the theme park are some of my favorites. You know, anything that was part of a ride. Like, I have a, a porthole from a 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea sub. I have no idea what I'm ever going to do with it. You know, I can't <laughs> hang... The thing weighs like 100 pounds. I can't hang it on the wall. But when I had the opportunity, I had to get it. You know, and somebody was kind enough to get one for me. And uh, But yeah, I love the things out of the theme parks. And if anybody has a Mr. Toad's Wild Ride card laying around, I, I would it would look <laughs> awesome in, in my... <laughs> Where my dining room table currently sits. So. How how big is your storage unit, and how much does your wife love you? <laughs> I don't know, and obviously a lot. So, um, but yeah, I'd love to hear from you guys, and uh, this is something that would be great if you guys wanted to call into the voicemail. Please do. So, uh, but Becky, that's it. We are done with the emails. We're done with the semi-speed slow speed round. Uh, I want to thank you once again, as always, for taking the time to come on. For all of your travel needs, Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Cruise Line, Adventures by Disney, which we're going to cover on an upcoming show, uh, contact Becky and her wonderful team of agents over at MouseFanTravel.com. Here it is, Becky. I'm leading up to it. Say goodnight, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. Oh. <laughs> you, you crashed right, and burned like... Sorry. Obviously, guys, I need some help. So if you if there's a... <laughs> clever little saying that that would be perfect to fit that little blank i'm good for it otherwise i'll see you at the adventurous club that's right kungaloosh That's all the time we have this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks to my very special guest, Disney legend and author Charlie Ridgway. You can visit his website at travelphotoridgway.com 
and be sure and pick up a copy of his book, Spinning Disney's World. I also want to say thanks to Becky Mankin, owner of Mouse Fan Travel. You can go to mousefantravel.com for a free, no-obligation quote on your Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Cruise Line, and Adventures by Disney Vacations. I want to say a big, big thanks to everybody that I had a chance to meet in the parks over the past couple of days and everybody that came by my meet of the month today over at Disney's Hollywood Studios. I love having the opportunity to meet so many of you and thank you so much for taking time out of your day or out of your vacation to come by. Don't forget, next week, I'm going to have a meet on Sunday, May 3rd, over at the Magic Kingdom at the Sunshine Tree Terrace. That'll be at 1 o'clock. Again, we'll be there for a couple of hours. Please come by and say hi. Even if you're late, stop by for a minute. I would love to say hello. I've also posted one of my daily Disney Diary videos from this recent trip. You can find that on the homepage or in the video section of WDWRadio.com. You can also find it on YouTube. And if you subscribe to the show via iTunes, it'll automatically download to your computer so you can watch it in iTunes or on your iPod device. I'll be posting another Daily Disney Diary video later this week from my recent trip as well as a new video on the site also later on this week as well. Stay tuned to the show. Over the next couple of weeks, I'll be announcing dates for probably June and July's Meets of the Month in Walt Disney World, as well as some other meets that I'm going to be attending elsewhere around the country later on this year. If you have any questions that you want answered on the show, please email me at lou at wdwradio.com. Or if you want to be heard on the air, you can call the toll-free voicemail line at 888-703-2171. And if you want to talk about the show with other listeners, please come by and join the WDW Radio Show forums over at wdwradio.com. Don't forget, you still have one more week to enter last week's Walt Disney World Trivia Contest. I asked you a number of questions as well as a bonus question you have until Saturday night at midnight Eastern time to get your answers in for that. Quick thanks to everybody who's following me over on Twitter and who played my Where in Walt Disney World game with me this past week. I posted some photos from around the parks asked you to identify where those are. If you aren't following me on Twitter, you can get my instant updates throughout the day at twitter.com slash Lou And please come by, friend me up over on Facebook and join the WDW Radio Show group. You can find links to all of those right on the homepage of wdwradio.com. Also stay tuned. I will be doing another WDW Radio live audio and video chat uh, in the next couple of weeks. Stay tuned for an announcement on when that's going to be. Don't forget to subscribe to Celebrations Magazine. Visit celebrationspress.com. If you have an idea for the magazine, an idea for the show, by all means, please email me. You know I want the show to be interactive. I want you to be as much of the part of the show as you'd like to be. Thank you again so very much for taking the time out of your week to listen to the show, for emailing me, coming by the meets. I really, really do appreciate it. As always, if you like the show, all I ask is that you please help spread the word, let others know about it, review us in iTunes. Again, come say hi over on Facebook or over in the forums at WDW Radio. And of course, remember my friends, it is never too late to start following your dream. Take that first step and always keep moving forward. I hope you have a fantastic week this week. So until next time, see ya. Hey Lou, this is Jay from Connecticut, also known as Spine on the forums. 
And I just want to say that you do an awesome job with the show every single week. I listen to it very regularly. I'm a huge Walt Disney World fan, and our most recent trip to Walt Disney World was back in September, and I took a lot of your advice with, you know, food, of course, (laughs) attractions, and also looking up and down, seeing everything. And I have to say that it really made all the difference, and it just really made the trip much more enjoyable. My mom and I are going back in October, and it's going to be just the two of us this time. And, you know, we're taking advantage of the not-so-scary Halloween party and, of course, the Food and Wine Festival. So it's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to continue to heed your advice. But this time, with it being only the two of us, we're going to really slow down and really just take our time, pay attention to all the details, and, as you say, look up and all around. And I'm sure that there will be many details and maybe even some hidden Mickeys, too, thanks to Steve Barrett and his guide. And we will definitely try to make the trip even more enjoyable and much more fun than it was last time. So keep up the great work with the show, and we'll keep in touch somehow through emails or however we feel. All right? Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, Lou, this is uh, WDW Dreamer from Delaware. was just watching your daily Disney diary on YouTube. So love this. It helps us be there when we can't go to the world for whatever reason. Um, one of the uh, attractions that I would um, not like to see refurbished or whatever is um, Peter Pan's flight. I just love that it's so traditional and um, true to the movie, and it's just a little nostalgic. Thanks. Uh, Love the Daily Disney Diary. Please keep doing it for us. Thank you. Bye. Hi, Lou. This is Danielle from Woodbridge, New Jersey. I'm just calling in to let you know how much I enjoy listening to Josh's Josh's voicemails. I really feel like Josh represents the Disney kid in all of us, and hearing his voicemails always makes me smile. I look forward to hearing him as a guest on an upcoming show. Keep up the wonderful work. Bye. Hi, Lou. This is Michelle from Michigan. I just wanted to let you know it's a magical day in Agrabah. I'm hanging out over here because the rest of my family is over on Splash Mountain, and I'm just, well, too much of a chicken. But I'm shopping. That's all good. But anyway, it's great. Hello, everyone, and uh, have a magical day. Bye. Hey, Lou. This is Kevin from Jacksonville. First of all, just wanted to say welcome to Florida. Uh, obviously, uh, I think it's great being down here, and I'm sure you're going to find it uh, equally enjoyable, especially since you'll be even closer to Disney World than uh, we are here uh, up in Jacksonville. Uh, second, I know you hear this a bunch, but uh, we just want to thank you for your show. It's a great show. Uh, my son, Nathan, my daughter, Brittany, and I, we listen to your shows starting uh, Monday morning on the trips to school and finish them throughout the week uh, as we as I take them to school. And uh, you turn what is normally a bummer of a day for most people, being the beginning of the work week and the beginning of the school week, into uh, a great day because we always look forward to uh, starting the new WDW radio show episode that Monday morning and continuing until we finish it. So, again, thanks for the show. Thanks for the good work. Uh, We'll be down in Disney World, unfortunately, the weekend after you hold your May meet and greet. Uh, So we're sorry we're going to miss you there, but hopefully 
one of these days we can get down there at the same time and actually get to meet uh, meet you and uh, maybe take some photographs. Kids would think that would be pretty neat. Uh, we participated in one of the live chats, and they just thought it was great that you mentioned their name on the uh, on the live show. So, again, thanks for everything. Keep up the good work, and uh, we'll be listening. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Lou, and all the WDW radio fans out there. Um, this is Tom from lovely Walt Disney World calling you from the actual resort. I mean, not, not in the parks right now. This is day six of a seven-day magnificent vacation. Of course, they all are. Just wanted to say that I, um, I experienced the Kim Possible World Showcase Adventure a couple days ago. Did all seven of the missions. There's um, seven out of the 11 countries represented in the World Showcase have a mission associated with them. And uh, what a blast. What, a, what a, an absolutely phenomenal job Disney did. And it's the kind of thing that only Disney would do and could do. Uh, few would have the kind of resources and technology that could accomplish something like the Kim Possible experience. And even fewer, actually, only singularly, only one, would actually do it. Um, so execution was phenomenal. I recommend it for young and old. I saw little kids doing it. I saw folks who were 65-plus doing it. Um, just can't express to you how great an experience it was, how much fun I had, and how much fun we're having here, uh, my family and I, in Walt Disney World, of course. Um, so, Disney, you've done it again. Uh, can you do no wrong? Anyway, just uh, signing out here. Uh, Lou, thanks so much for the show. You do a great job. Uh, really looking forward to hopefully hearing my voicemail on the show. And uh, peace out, brother. Take care. Bye. Hey, Lou. Glenn from Alabama. Um, just listening to your uh, top ten uh, rain, things to do in the rain and the rainy moments. And I wanted to say, uh, the voyage of the Little Mermaid, there is a, a scene there. I believe the effect is that you're actually going underwater. It's not raining, but the, the, uh, the systems in the theater do, do spray you a little bit with the water, and it's made to appear that you are actually under the sea. So there was some validity to that. Um, I tell you, my, the best thing I've ever done in the rain at Disney World, it's been several, several years ago, we stood in line for Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, and we just knew that they were going to shut it down. It had been raining for a good 15 minutes by the time we even got in line, and I said, well, let's just stay in line and just see what happens. If they let us ride, they let us ride. If they shut it down, they shut it down. We were in line for about 20 minutes, but they did not shut that ride down. We rode Big Thunder Mountain Railroad in the rain, and it was a blast. Um, one of the one of the most fun things that I've ever done on any attraction anywhere. So thought I'd let you know both of those things. Thanks again for all the work you do. See ya. Hey, Lou, this is Chris from Palm Beach Garden, Florida. Love the show, love the work you do. Uh, I was listening to one of your older shows recently, and the topic was the top ten sounds of uh, Walt Disney World, and a couple came to mind that you didn't mention, one of which is in uh, Space Mountain, near the end of Space Mountain, when you are going through that simulated reentry and you go through that tunnel where there's that blast of, uh, of red light and you hear that sound. That's definitely something that I don't think you hear anywhere else. And uh, when you hear that, you definitely know that you're, uh, you're in Space Mountain. And the other sound is one that combines, I think, a top ten sound and your Wayback Machine 
and you actually even gave a nod to it in your intro in uh, show 114. But that is the uh, the old Disney World uh, AM radio station that you would turn to when you would you know, get on property and go down World Drive in the car, and you would uh, um, see the signs for the AM radio station. You'd turn to the radio station and hear that voice and hear the announcer telling you all that was going on in the parks. And I remember as a little kid, uh, hearing that and, and that you know you that really put you in the mood. You knew you were there when you heard uh, heard that uh, that announcer. And uh, you know back then to have it, your own radio station was something really really cool too. So just wanted to uh, add my two cents for for those sounds. And again, love the show. Hope to see you in the park someday. And uh, congrats on your move to Florida.